Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Hello, and welcome back to Reframing Our Stories. We are so glad that you are here with us. We wanted to highlight and let you know for those who are local that we have an event coming up on February 18th. Uh, We are partnering with Haven for Birth, and we are going to start doing the first installment of storytelling events that we have been wanting to do for a long time. And so this first storytelling event will be reframing our stories around breastfeeding. There's a lot around breastfeeding. Oftentimes we are not told everything that has to, that goes into breastfeeding and also there's so many different emotions that come up around breastfeeding. So if you are a person who has experienced breastfeeding, come and be with others and share a story. We are still looking for storytellers. We need around 3 more, so if you're interested, please sign up. And if you are a person who has uh, had a child but has not breastfed, this is also a place for you. It's a place to highlight many different stories around the breastfeeding experience. There'll be some funny stories because of course lots of funny things can happen during breastfeeding. There can be stories that have pain that, you know, some of us have had uh, struggles with breastfeeding. That's my story for sure. And, you know, there's also stories of just, you know, pure bliss around breastfeeding. But I think all of us can hold space for one another around each other's stories with breastfeeding. And I think it's a topic that we need to talk more about. So if you are interested, please go to our website, reframingourstories.com and find events. It's under the connect tab and you can find out more information and you can sign up for that event. And we would love, love, love to see you there. We are hoping to do more of these, so please come out and be with us. Also, if you like our podcast, if you are enjoying what you are hearing, it would be wonderful if you could give us a rating and if you could give us a review on iTunes. Uh, That helps other people find us and we want to reach more people. So please give us a review and uh, subscribe and share it with others. And with that... Here is our show. It's not every day when you meet two people and instantly form a connection. When I met my friend Rula at Pub Theology, I knew she was someone I needed to be around. A woman from Lebanon, full of passion and life, and a heart for learning and teaching about God. I was intrigued. Rula has a way of making everyone feel cared for and includes everyone around her. She is also so full of adventure, this cautious woman needs someone like her in my life. Rula knew I needed to meet her friend, Kurt. When Kurt and I met, we instantly became fast friends. He is a philosopher like me in search for meaning and truth. For a long time, his truth was handed to him in a religion that he later found caused him and many others harm. So he left and actively seeks to deconstruct what he was taught 
and now looks for what feels true to him. The three of us, the pastor, sex educator, and atheist, have a deep respect and care for one another, and as you can imagine, fascinating conversations. Today, you all get to hear some of what we talk about on the regular, because the three of us together help one another reframe our story. Kurt and Rula, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Good to be here. Pleasure. <laughs> so, okay. I've been very excited about this moment of being able to talk with both of you on the podcast because our conversations are always so um, intriguing, adventurous, and fun and full, like filled with depth. So, as you know, the show talks a lot about religion and sex and grief and all those things. And I know that you guys interact with those topics on a daily basis. Uh, so I'm curious and I'm hoping that both of you could just give us a snapshot of what it was like for you or an overview really of your relationship with God and the church growing up. And I'm just going to, I'm going to invite Kurt to go first and then Rula, if you could go after. That'd be great. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was like a religion, sex, grief, check, check, check. Yeah. We're, we're good. Like <laughs> I have all three of those in my life. Like it's like, so um, well, I, I I have a hard time providing the context. Um, and I've shared this a little bit prior in some other um other other contexts, but um my own religious tradition that I grew up in without at least footnoting or, or mentioning briefly that of my parents. Um, so, uh, because this is kind of part of the religious pedigree that led to my upbringing in, in, a, in over 40 years of my life. So, first of all, uh, my mom grew up in what was uh, what's called the general, I think they still, they maybe still exist, but it's probably really, really small, but it's called the General Association of Regular Baptists. So just think of this, this is like ultra fundamentalist Christianity of like, you know, the last, you know, probably from the late uh, 1800s into the like the, the mid 1900s, uh, that time frame. So what's happening broadly within the American religious context is that is that liberalism is being introduced through higher criticism of the Bible that's coming out of places like scholarly opinions in Germany and so forth. And there is a, a reaction to that of, of like, oh my gosh, we are, we're losing the faith. We have to fight for the faith. And so, so you have the rise of Christian fundamentalism uh, in, in the United States. And that gives birth, you know, given the Protestant tradition of loving to constantly fraction itself, uh, fracture itself over and over and over again through this myriad of denominations uh, that, that give birth. Also various schools that, that come, come to exist during that time of which I will eventually attend um, a couple of them. Uh, but that's, that was the context that my mom uh, grew up in. Uh, in contrast, to a certain extent, my dad growing up in more of a Methodist background, 
which would have been seen as like, they, they were definitely a little bit more liberal, a little more progressive, a little more cutting edge. You know, they were out there on the frontier. That's what the Methodist church exploded in American history when it basically said, we're going to, we're going to evangelize the frontier. Um, and unlike a lot of the other established denominations are like, no, we're just going to kind of sit tight and focus on, on, you know, the Eastern half of the U S it's like the Methodist tradition and a few others really exploded with it. Like we're going to go out there and, and, and mix it up with the rough and tumble of the frontier, what was considered the American frontier. Of course, it wasn't really that to begin with, but so all that to say is that they, they, you know, you had my mom who represented Christian fundamentalism and you had my dad who represented more of a, a little bit more of a liberal slant on Christianity. And basically it's a perfect example of American religious history in the sense that if you put those two together, you basically have the, the emergence and the rise of evangelicalism. So, because evangelicalism, it's hard to believe that now in our current context, because we think of evangelicalism, and I would rightly describe it as this, as being rather very extreme. But at a certain point in time, evangelicalism, as it was formulating, was actually considered a little bit of a response to fundamentalism. It was kind of like a kinder, gentler fundamentalism, as it were. Um, and so that's the context I grew up in, is, is in a conservative you know, significantly white Christian American evangelical context. That helps. Yes. Thank you. Rilo, do you want to share? Yeah. So both of you know that I, um, I'm Lebanese. I grew up in the Middle East. So my context was a little bit different, uh, but somehow also similar. <laughs> I mean, it's funny how, um, that fundamental mentality is also present in my context, but in a, like a whole different way. Uh, I didn't really grow up in a religious family per se. Like my parents weren't particularly religious or we didn't really go to church. Uh, we, we did like on Christmas and, and Easter, uh, but the, the Lebanese culture is, is very influenced by religion. So it's part of the culture. Almost we do things that are, kind of biblical just because they're part of the culture not because we want to you know uh follow certain religious practices and so that's the family I grew up in and um God was not like really present in my life until I was a teenager and I was at the age where I'm trying to figure out who I am and somehow I was guided to the Presbyterian church um I don't know if you know that in Lebanon, you are born with your religion. So like I'm Presbyterian by birth, but I really didn't know what that meant because I went to a Catholic church because that's the dominant uh, denomination in Christianity in Lebanon. Um, and so I started kind of getting introduced to my own church through summer camps. And this is how I started like attending the church regularly and um, and this is when I started forming in my mind who God is for me, who was never present for me. And at that age, uh, I needed I needed the right and wrong. I needed that concept of one truth to get attached to, to make sense of the world and the changes, you know, at teenage. And so, um, so I was guided to the more evangelical side of uh, the Protestant church, which is like a minority in Lebanon. 
it wasn't really imposed on me, so to speak. Like I, like I wasn't told that this is the way I should live, but I kind of like chose it for myself. <laughs> um, it doesn't traumatize you any less. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I I meet you there, Kurt, at a certain age where I'm I'm forming my identity around religion and God, and it was all about what not to do and all the you know things that are wrong and where God is gonna you know send me to hell for doing stuff. I hope that gives you kind of an idea. So similar kind of backgrounds in terms of way of thinking, right? In terms of who God was, God was became more of a black and white, right? This is how you need to live your life. And if not, here are the yeah. consequences, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, a lot of emphasis on holiness, you know, righteousness, that these are um, hallmarks of true followers. And so, and, and then what was taught behind that was a very strict code that you needed to adhere to. Um, so, yeah. I, I just I just want to add one thing because um, I kind of want to draw that differentiation. You know, for me, that that concept of, of quote unquote holiness uh, wasn't there. What was there is more of a cultural concept that's similar, but it doesn't come from the church. I really don't know how to translate it to English. There's this word that's like very specific to the Arabic culture. That's the word da'ib that translates to like, it's like a combination of guilt and shame and what you're not supposed to do in front of other people. Like that's very harmful and unhealthy concept of like, we don't do this because it's type. So it's like out of question. We, we just don't do that. And then you don't learn um, like we don't do that because it's right or it's wrong. It's type. It's, it's, we can do that in front of people. And so so the, the evangelical uh, world of the church kind of reinforced that for me mm -hmm. uh, that actually came from outside the church. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But I feel like it's also interesting because, you know, like even some of our cultural ways of doing things in like America, I feel is very stemmed from the evangelical movement in America, right? In terms of how you know, culturally, what is seen okay is seen okay and is not seen okay, right? Like, I feel like in our culture, you know, like two men certainly um, can't even, you know, whether they're, whatever their orientation certainly can't hold hands walking down the street to show affection of their relationship, right? Like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Where mm -hmm. I feel, um, or you know, just anything related to how we talk about sex in our, in our culture. Mm -hmm. like, I feel a lot of that stems from the roots of uh, the evangelical movement. I actually think there's a, there are American reference, uh, kind of reference points for what, what you're talking about, uh, Rula, and that um, there have been points in time in American history where more formal adhere, adherence to religion has has gone back and forth or, you know, like, like church attendance has, has been higher at, at certain points of American church, church history declined. Then there was, you know, the great awakening and then it rapidly, you know, increased, but there was kind of this, this sense in which um, it was less formally religious, but they still adhered under the surface to this, 
this code and guilt and shame were definitely components of that. Uh, even if the, and it was just like a cultural assumption of like, this is the way things ought to be. Uh, even if there wasn't a, a explicit reference to like, well, we got to do that because, you know, the Bible says this here or says that there. Uh, it's, it's kind of gone, it's kind of ebbed and flowed at various points in time. And it just kind of shows that like under the surface is really this, this concept of a fundamentalistic religious mind. And I'll, I'll differentiate that because I understand that there's other, other ways now, especially viewing religion and spirituality outside of fundamentalism. Um, but it's like that tends to be the common denominator, you know, no matter where you go in the United, you know, in the world, you'll, you'll get a sense of that connection and the ultimate manifestation of that in leading to a lot of oppressive uh, and, and self-denying instincts that almost get ingrained in us but it seems like the common theme here is guilt and shame yeah yeah right for both for yeah. both of you so where right. are you now in terms of your relationship with god and church <laughs> Go <for Bella>? it. <laughs> <laughs> awkward pause <laughs> yeah. i'm like let's uh, just go there bam yeah <laughs> You want to go ahead, Gert, or do you want? Well, to go? no, you you go, you go. This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm a minister right now. So, um, to be honest, it took me ten years of struggling with a faith that I chose for myself before I could actually find the faith that I chose for myself. And uh, definitely, age and maturity and experience in life plays a role in that because when you're um, 17 and you're being taught things and you just like absorb them is different than when you're 27 and then when you're 35. Um, and so uh, there is a lot that I needed to deconstruct. And I'm very grateful for my intercultural exchange that allowed me to see the world in different lenses. Because in my culture, there is one truth for everything. And our world is so small. And, uh, you know, like America is a melting pot and you meet like students at school or colleagues or friends or family who think differently who are different we don't have that <laughs> we're, we're all supposed to be the same are there always a time you know like you know yeah you have to conform and so um I did one year studies my theological studies here in the states and that was just uh so transformative. It, it was really life-changing in terms of how I thought about God, how I thought about sex, how I saw the world. Um, and so there's been a lot of deconstruction and, and reconstruction and, and, and uh, reconciliation. I currently identify as a liberal progressive Christian. I know that a lot of people in my church uh, won't even accept <laughs> all of my, uh, you know, theological ideology. I, I, you know, tend to not not overshare. <laughs> well, here we go in public. Uh, but no, I, I, I do identify as a progressive Christian and that would not have landed well in my church in Lebanon. So I feel like I found my home in the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA, where um, a lot of people are on that path. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, God and I are friends now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. God and I are friends. Uh, <laughs> She's my I, friend. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know, I was just going to say that uh, as a premise um, to some additional thoughts that 
One of the things that I love about the relationship and the French, the deep friendship that I have established with, with Rula is that I found that um, when you dive deep into pursuing a loving and understanding relationship, the differences actually become less and less. Um, they almost become like philosophically cosmetic at a certain point. It's like we're using, we, we're using different language and metaphor to come to a lot of the same conclusions. So I, I'm, I've shifted a lot, even in the last year or two, <laughs> yeah, uh, of, uh, of uh, you know, both my interaction with the two of you, uh, my girlfriend, who's very much engaged in the shamanistic you know, spiritual tradition and all of these things coming from my, my background, where at, at a certain point, I was like 100%, um, 100% naturalist atheist um you know i and i think that i've softened in in understanding that uh, one i don't want to introduce any sense of i think it's rather egotistical to to claim um any kind of ultimate perspective uh, if there's one you know hallmark of my I, kind of my current position on life is that in the end we know shockingly little um still and and so it's best to continue to be curious and loving uh, above above all things. Um, like yes, yes, I do have like strong opinions on like I, I think that in terms of um, exclusive, dogmatic, organized, monotheistic religions, I think like one of the if there's any hope for humanity as a species, like one of the character one one aspect of that would be the demise of of organized monotheistic exclusivistic religion uh, along with things like nationalism and capitalism and you know i could throw in other other aspects i think like if there's gonna any hope for us as a species uh to use that that kind of language um it's going to be found in the demise of those systems but what i'm finding is that in the demise of those systems that doesn't mean like the eradication of of like a sense of spirituality and mystery in the context of of still honoring and valuing science and reason and all those things that i i don't think that they they have to be mutually as exclusive as maybe once at, at one point I, I i thought so um so that's why i love being in you know, the, the friend, uh, such a, a great friendship with the two of you is because I feel like I'm learning and growing in my own understanding of spirituality through that context. So, yeah. And we are growing with you, Kurt. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> sure. Well, thank you guys. So um, what messages did you guys get around your body growing up? And how did that affect? Well, do you have time? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me just say, I have a feeling this is already going to be like a two-part interview. <laughs> 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 like part one, part two. Very possible, right? yeah. Yeah. Rula, you want? Sure. <laughs> well, I've been thinking about this uh, this morning and how, how to introduce this. Um, Arabic culture is pretty much dominated by, um, by the church and the mosque. And both Christianity and Islam, or I have to say modern Christianity and Islam, currently have a very um, 
how did I put this nicely? Um, toxic, toxic view of our bodies and our relationship with our bodies, especially if you are a woman and almost like exclusively if you are a woman, because uh, I'll, I'll keep coming back to this concept of hype, the shame. Uh, you are constantly shamed about, well, just being a woman, <laughs> uh, having the body of a woman. Um I mean, seriously, when a boy is born into a family, the family rejoices over this, this newborn. If a girl is born, most families would grieve. I mean, how sick is that? I know that like one of my grandmothers, uh, you know, because they don't reveal the gender of the baby. Like when, when I was born three, five years ago in Lebanon, you couldn't know if that's a girl or a boy. And when she knew I was a girl, she was unhappy. Um, and part of that is the grief over you they grieve over the life that this woman is going to have in such a society um and also it's uh it's almost like uh like because you're a girl you're putting your your family your clan at risk of one day losing their honor their dignity uh and so we we grew up in this whole like the honor of my entire family the entire clan seriously is connected to whether or not I have sex um I've yeah it's it's insane I mean just thinking about this now how how harmful that is how suppressive and and like shaming that is so yeah I grew up with a lot of um foreignness between me and my body uh you are since you know you reach pu puberty you're, you're you start kind of you know you wear a padded bra because you know your nipples to show or you know like um if you're if you're a woman I, that doesn't apply to to men oh by the way we're you're not you're not called a woman you're, you're called a girl if you're 40 years old and you're not married you're a girl and like my brother would would fight battles over that oh <laughs> except somebody called me madame once in Lebanon you're the French madame if you're married mademoiselle if you're if you're single and my brother was like what are you calling my sister you know wow. uh, I, I know it's it's insane you guys I'm telling you wow that's a lot I mean, yeah, like if I'm sitting at home with my like knees spread out, whoever sees me, mom, dad, brother, uncle, sister, grandma, uh, put it, put your feet together. You know, there's this like constant, there is no break. There's no place where you can be yourself, including your home. It's like for, for a girl to sit and, and spread her life. This whole like um, just complete disconnect. You're not supposed to explore. Uh, like I didn't know my body. I was an adult and I didn't really know my body. And I I, I just wanted nothing to do with with body with sexuality like that's a whole other level you know we don't talk about it we um I was taught the little that I needed to be taught when I got my period you know just how to deal with that that's all you need to know yeah. uh yeah and so on and so forth so very uh very oppressive very sexually charged society and yet like sex is like nowhere to be like talked about thought about uh displayed anything wow. yeah that brings up just so many emotions right like it's yeah. just it makes me so frustrated and angry for you and the more I even learn about the medical history or just the naming of our parts and how like so many of the female so much of the female anatomy is named after shame 
yeah. like literal translations of yeah. shame. Absolutely. And yeah. it's just, it's sickening. It just yeah. makes me so yeah. angry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, Kurt. Well, I, it's hard to follow um, those thoughts. Uh, I'll just say, you know, because conversely, you know, in terms of, you know, position of historic privilege, it's like, okay, well, I'm a, a white American male who grew up in Marin County, California. Like you don't get more, you rarely get very more privileged than that. And, and uh, so when it, when it comes to, uh, I, I just can't, all I can do is hold space for that kind of pain that women have experienced and try to understand it and then be as, as best of an ally against any kind of systems or ideologies that, that heap further guilt and shame, which is why I'm so outspoken on certain aspects of, again, like more fundamental, fundamentalistic religion or, or other ideologies. Um, what's interesting to me in terms of like my body, so, so as a young boy growing up in the heart, uh, like this was the golden age of purity culture. Like, so I was born in 1974. It's like the tail end of the Jesus movement heading into the 80s. Um, the culture wars are raging. So the, this is the birth, the, the era in which the birth of what we're seeing now, what we've seen in the last few years with Christian white nationalism and like fundamentalistic evangelicalism trying to oppress and you know, institute laws and oppress people of say, for example, from the LGBTQ community and so forth. I mean, I grew up in that context. Uh, I was sharing a story uh, with my girlfriend the other day, just around music. Like and this connects to sexuality in that um, it was a really big deal when my mom made a like said, okay, I'll let my my oldest brother go to a Petra concert because that was Christian rock and roll. <laughs> and rock and roll, rock and roll literally, I remember watching as a kid, like videos meant for kids and teenagers to talk about the evils of rock and roll, how rock and roll is literally an explicit reference to sexuality and like deviant sinful sexuality and that's why even listening to the beat of it could could open up you know make you vulnerable to to sat satanic influence and it was all connected to sexuality so there's like this hyper infatuation with with addressing sexuality which but it's vague it's horribly vague so all i know is i'm supposed to stay pure if i have any kind of sinful thoughts whatsoever like sexual thoughts, it's sinful. Um, and uh, so it's, it's vague. So I can't be curious. I know nothing and I can be curious about nothing. Mm -hmm. That's, that was like the end result message from that, mm -hmm. which as a child and in a child, like the a hallmark, what should be a hallmark of a child's upbringing is the welcoming of curiosity and exploration. Yes. And I had, I was just, I, had, I was terrified to do that because yeah. you're right. Then on, on the, the, the other side of that is all of eternity and hell and all of that's like, you know, Jesus is coming back. And I know it's like, he's coming back. Is that good? Cause he's also coming back to like rain down judgment on everybody who, who's not on his side. And am I on his side? And the, so you can see like all, where all of that toxic theology gets intertwined in sexuality and I just was at the same point in time I'm also a kid growing up in the 80s so I have a radio 
I can go over to friends' houses. Um, I remember going over to a friend's house. I think it was like junior high or maybe, yeah, I think it was like junior high. And we, we stayed up late. He, he did not have the same kind of parental oversight that I had growing up. And he had HBO. And HBO late night basically turns into softcore porn back then. Yeah. Um, so they like showed the movie Nine and a Half Weeks with with uh, Kim Basinger and uh, uh, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. Anyways, um, Mickey Rourke. Okay, so, which has all this like really, you know, especially at the time, really like racy sex scenes. And I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like when I got like, got the swimsuit edition of Sports, Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, like that was a big, like I remember get, seeing it and, and like I, it was delivered before my parents had seen because we had subscribed because Sports Illustrated, I like sports. Like I remember hiding that like mm-hmm. for like a couple of years hiding it, you know, just because it's like, wow. So I, that was the, that was the context I grew up in where I was naturally very curious, but I felt like I had no freedom, especially in any open way to express and process that with the people who I thought, you know, would be most helpful in helping me understand life to be your parents should be right. Anyways. I like that you named that, uh, Kurt. I like that you named curiosity. Like you made me realize that that's exactly what was targeted in my upbringing too. Like they managed to kill my curiosity about my own body. I wasn't even interested in trying to to discover what my body is like yeah mm-hmm. so. and then I feel like that also filters over to curiosity among so many other things right like if we can't even um, our body is how we experience this world and if we are not given that permission to be curious and explore and have a sense of imagination with our own self then how are we supposed to even do that with others or to interact you know, like within this world of, because there's so much to be curious about, right? And so it brings on this sense of fear and trepidation of even learning how to interact with even our natural elements around us, you know? It's just, it's a lot. Was anyone instrumental in your life around helping you understand your relationship with your body and yourself more? Mm -hmm. Since you've been on this path of deconstructing and learning and things like that, so... Well, I, I already mentioned that that year I spent in Princeton Seminary was very instrumental in changing the way I think about God and sex. And ironically, like these two went together. Uh, I'm just going to give you a little background because I really think, uh, I, I think now I think about it, uh, it's uh, what, six years ago, I think God brought me to the United States to seminary at that time only for that one course, like seriously. (laughs) I did most of my studies in Lebanon in the Near East School of Theology, and I transferred to Princess Seminary for one year where I graduated from. So I had to take uh, certain courses in certain areas in order for me to graduate, right? Uh, And then uh, I don't remember what happened. I had to kind of shift my schedule somehow, and I got stuck, and I put that between air quote, in this uh, course called sexuality and the Christian body. And I had no intention in taking that course. Uh, it felt like a waste of time. Like, I don't know why I'm taking that. 
Um, and honestly, it turned out to be the reason I truly believe that God brought me to that place at that time. And it was eye-opening. It was life-changing. I literally like uh, looked up the syllabus of that course this morning because <laughs> I mean, just the things, the books that we had to read. And uh, it was the first time in my life that I I got any kind of formal uh, sexual education because that thing does not exist in my country. Yes. Uh, we had a biology class on how cows reproduce and <laughs> selected at that. Oh, wow. And I remember going home, <laughs> trying to like try to figure out if humans do the same thing and like why we're not talking about human bodies we only talked about cow bodies oh. uh like seriously and that that was very very instrumental in the way I started shifting my whole mentality really from this conservative Arabic woman into this really liberal affirming I you know I went in 2015 August 2015 went to Princeton, uh, just you know, holding on to like the Bible says, and homosexuality is a sin. To meeting all those awesome gay people who are in seminary, who are mm. wanting to become ministers, who have the same calling that I have, who are just amazing people, and just sitting through, you know, that that course was was just life changing. Along with meeting those amazing people that I love dearly, and one of them I didn't know he was gay. <laughs> Like he mm. dropped it on me after a couple of months I was like but I love you you know like I, I still want to love you I still want to think that you are an amazing human being um and so yeah that that year was was what really started that shift from close-mindedness towards curiosity and from there I was I, I'm still deconstructing and reconstructing until this day I love that you and I shared that we've had sexual awakenings in seminary Mm -hmm. because mine too was from that a particular class as well that was like I mean just makes you see how the more we learn about our sexuality and deconstruct and then also look at how it's so in intimately attached to our spiritual person yes yes that it just makes you see things in such a new way where yes where you're just like why is why have we been placing shame on this yeah. thing you know, in this entity. And the other thing that I just learned, which is fascinating that you talked about cows, because for the longest time, right, as a sex educator, um, I had been told, right, that when we talk about nerve endings, that's a clitoris has around 8,000 nerve endings and the penis has around 4,000 nerve endings. Turns out that's incorrect. Turns out they got those numbers from cows. Wow. From looking wow. at a clitoris and, wow. and penis of of cows and there's not actual information on humans i was like what <laughs> this was all new information to me as yeah. well that people are now talking about like oh those studies that claim that those were bovines like yeah. isn't that amazing oh. that's sadly amazing yeah, yeah right? sadly amazing yeah. sadly amazing wow so, well um I'm going to, uh, this might, hopefully this doesn't sound egotistical, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say that I'm, there was something inside of me. So I'm going to give myself some credit um, for 
because there was something that was just relentlessly discontent with with what I was experiencing and hearing. And, um, you know, some people in those contexts will, will make the choice to double down and be like, okay, well, I've, I've just, I've, I've got to suppress that. Um, and for me, I didn't. Um, now, some of the ways that I opened up to that weren't always the best, healthiest, constructive, you know, some of them were hurtful ways in terms of uh, just to be candid, um, because I'm a, I'm a divorced, a divorced guy. Uh, and that included, um, uh, you know, a chapter in my, my life when I was married in which I was, um, I was seeing other people. So, um, but, but I've, I've learned a lot in, in kind of the therapeutic model that I've been engaged with in the last couple of years to, to in some ways, find ways to honor the parts that, of ourselves that we typically like to shame the most. To see, to see the underlying intention behind sometimes their reckless actions and, and to honor that. And so I think I've, I've found that, um, that there's, um, there's something beautifully resilient within myself. Um, and, and so, and then as I did that, you know, I, I engaged and connected with people that, that those, those experiences taught me about, um, a sexuality outside of the, the rigid boundaries of my fundamentalistic roots. Um, so that, uh, that those relationships, my own personal resi- resilience um, have been really key aspects. So it, it wasn't like a, I didn't take like, it wasn't like a single class, definitely didn't happen in seminary for me because I was definitely, I was eyeball deep in evangelicalism at that time. So there was, when I attended Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, there was definitely no woke sexuality courses being offered there or at Multnomah University or, you know, (laughs) it's like, no, Uh, there was books on like, um, biblical manhood and womanhood, which was considered like a critical work on biblical sexuality that was put out in like the 1990s within evangelicalism, which, you know, defined, it was this massive volume, which had, you know, 20 different authors or some, something like that, that just like, this is what biblical manhood, and this is what biblical womanhood looks like. So, um, so for me, it was just more of my own discontent with that, a little bit of my own rebellious, rebelliousness to it, even if it was behind the scenes, Uh, and then just coming to embrace that. Uh, And then I would just say, this, this doesn't necessarily explicitly speak to sexuality, but a lot of the books that I've read on addressing issues of trauma have been huge. They are directly related to, because I have experienced sexual trauma in my childhood and in my upbringing. And, and so addressing trauma books, like we've talked about before, like the body keeps the score or um, uh, yeah, there's just, there's a number of great books and resources I will give credit to my therapist, my internal family systems therapist, uh, who's done a lot of work in the last three years of helping me walk through and unpacking a lot of what the shame that was associated with some of my my sexual choices um, and trying to understand that more better. Anyways, that was too long of an answer, but yeah. <laughs> no, but it goes to show like oftentimes, and this is some of the things too, I think that people are starting to realize, right, is like, Sometimes we get, engage in certain behaviors and, you know, our culture has been taught to be 
to shame the behavior, you know, if it's not meeting a certain, if it's not in a container of what we call good. And so we're taught to shame these behaviors instead of saying, saying that the behavior is a symptom of something else to say like, okay, so let's look at the feelings that are associated with why this behavior, right, like is happening. And I think you were speaking to that, like you were finding the truth, like looking for the truth within you of what felt more, mm-hmm. you know, natural, like, what, you know, like understanding that our body shouldn't be constantly looked at as shameful. Yeah. You know? The pleasure isn't bad. Yeah. It's, it's actually can be a good thing. So, yeah. yeah. Gert, I really, I, I really want to honor the way that you, uh, created space and you have a lot of uh, really honoring of all those parts of you that were really just curious mm-hmm. and the non-judgmental way that you've constantly spoken about that has really helped me in embracing those parts that I've been uh, shaming myself about right so I, I really respect that um, that you embrace this non-judgmental approach to saying no you know I've used methods that I wouldn't have chosen to use right now but I but that came from a place of curiosity and a place of wanting to learn mm-hmm. so thank you for that yeah you're welcome thank you Rula I had a question for you that as a pastor what are you constantly hoping for those who learn from you about God mm-hmm. wow that's a very loaded question <laughs> You know, in my in my own faith journey uh, that I just mentioned to you, there was a lot that needed to be deconstructed, including the body image. You both know that I'm also a yoga instructor and that I actually use yoga as a part of my ministry. Um, so I'm all about embodied spirituality. Our, our bodies are sacred. They're instrument that we can use to open up to God. So um, I think this is where I really want those I interact with to to get comfortable with their own bodies and to reconcile body, mind, and spirit. Um, I mean, there's a lot there. So oh, yeah. I, don't know. I, don't, I don't really know where to go with that, but that would be the highlight for me, the most important thing that uh, that was healing for me is to, I want people to know that God has created you the way you're created and, and you're good as God had said, you know, God created you and found that you are good and you are sacred and there's nothing in you that you need to hide or change in order for you to be an instrument for God. And that includes all of that, all of your body. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, Kurt, you also were a pastor at some point. <laughs> Your secret is True. out. <laughs> Your secret is out. You were. <laughs> Look at us. Yeah. Um, so, what do you hope that the people who you once taught know now? You know, one of the most interesting experiences of the last few years since I left um, the Christian religion um, and started to deconstruct and express some of my thoughts publicly was reconnecting with people, uh, particularly youth, because I, I, you know, I was, I was in 
professional, you know, quote unquote, professional vocational Christian ministry for about uh, for 17 years and then volunteering before that. So it was good. You know, I, I, I preached my first sermon on a, at a youth Sunday when I was 18 years old. So I ended up teaching the Bible for 25 years. Um, and, uh, and then I was of course involved when you, when you're growing up in that context, it's like, there's like a progression, like a professional progression. It's like, well, you're going to be called, you, you're going to do one of three things. Like the, the God's elite do one of three things. Um, you either become a missionary, uh, you become a youth, a youth pastor or a senior pastor. It's kind of like, that's like the trifecta. So, um, you know, I ended up uh, experiencing both senior and, and associate and youth pastoral positions, but spent a good number of years in youth ministry. And so I've reconnected thanks to the miracle of, you know, social media for all of its, its drawbacks um, with a good number of kids at the time who are now adults, many of them have kids themselves uh, who were in my youth group back in the day um, when I was tragically um, passing on the same kind of toxic theology to them that was passed on to me. And I am actually very pleased and hopeful to say that the majority of them um, have left that behind, almost all of them, it could be all of them that I've reconnected with have left that behind. Some of them run the gamut of just embracing atheism to embracing more, more, um, more uh, inclusive spiritual expressions. Some are still within really Christian religious traditions. Others have left that and embraced other things. Uh, but one of the things that was really, I, I have a lot of gratitude for this, is that there was no judgment towards me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. There was it was one of the most healing things to hear repeatedly from a number of those individuals who were that were under my pastoral leadership just say you know what Kurt we knew your heart all along like you, that's been clear like and so don't worry about it it's we're good we're fine like this is and and so we've even I was you know we've been talking, we've been you know, zooming and all that kind of stuff. It's just really been, that's been amazing. So what would I want them to know is, is, um, uh, you know, certainly that, uh, I'm sorry for sharing things and passing on things to them that I now recognize do a lot of, did a lot of harm. At least they did a lot of harm to me and to others I know, and I'm sure to some of them as well. Um, to whatever extent I can join them in their, their spiritual life journey and we can grow together in curiosity. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. We can do that. That's, that's great as well. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think it's one of my favorite, like YouTuber personality sex people is uh, this gal named Caitlin V. And, yes. and I think she always, her tagline for her, her shows at the end always used to be like, well, and stay curious or something like that. I think that was, that was like, so I would just, that's what I would just say, like, stay curious. I, not really the most important story to think about, because actually the, the two people that I think about the most who are under, especially one of them who are under my pastoral leadership in a sense, but they not only were under my pastoral leadership, they were under my leadership, my leadership or my oversight my care as my children. So I have two daughters and my oldest in particular distinctly does remember when I was a pastor and I baptized her. I have the pictures of when I, when I baptized her. And I remember 
apologies. We went out, just her and I, and it was right when I was, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving the Christian religion. She and I have this really beautifully honest relationship. And I said, I said, Mel, I want to apologize for making the world so small for you for so long. So just, just realize that the world is so much bigger than I made it out to be and just explore the fuck out of it. Sorry, but uh, I didn't say the fuck out of it actually in that context. <laughs> But that's what I'm, that was my, that was my intention behind it. It's just, what did I say? Maybe shit. I don't know. I probably not fine. But anyways, um, but, you know, just explore, just, just keep your eyes, you know, and this is, this is the daughter who has since, you know, since that conversation has, has come out and, and is embracing her own sexuality. And she's learning more about it uh, all the day, uh, you know, every day. We talk about it probably multiple times a week and like, well, dad, I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm this, I think I'm, you know, and I said, well, just keep exploring, keep, yeah. stay curious. Don't be held down by any charge of the, uh, any, any concept that would, would teach you to shame um, your body or who you think you are. I think that's the gift actually for so many kids. I think today is that they have the gift of curiosity. Like they're asking the questions, I think, that our generation felt like we couldn't ask. Like you had said before, like you couldn't even begin to wonder. And I feel like there is this element where youth today are asking the questions, are getting curious, are exploring. And I feel like there's this shift too of, um, it's interesting to see some adults' reactions to that. And I almost think there's an aspect of jealousy among the adults who see, not saying you, but I'm just saying in general of their response to how kids are, are, are asking those questions, you know, because I feel like actually everyone would like to ask those questions and be free to explore more what, what that means for them. I agree with you, Kara. I feel like I've been scammed. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wait, I, I should have explored these things like maybe 20 years earlier than I actually did. And it's such a beautiful gift, Gert, that you give to your daughter just saying, you know, there's nothing wrong about you. There's nothing shameful about your sexuality. Just keep exploring. I mean, I'm jealous of that. I wish I had a parent who said that to me. So I just really want to lift that up. It's such a beautiful gift that you're giving to your daughter. Thanks. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I, and I, I think, you know, what's most important um, beyond what we say to our kids is, is also um, you know, is, is a modeling of our own, our own lives. So, I mean, it's, it's, it was really, you know, a trip for her when, and obviously within appropriate limitations, but I, I remember, you know, having a conversation, I think when it was, it was clear because I do, you know, split, you know, custody. And there was a time where, you know, I was dropping them off or, or, or picking them up. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I had my bag packed. So I, was, I was, yeah, I was at my girlfriend's last night. And, and she's like, did you like sleep? Like just in bed. She's like, did you sleep in bed with me? And she's like, and she's like, have you had sex? And I'm like, yeah, we've had sex a lot, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
you know, because, but she just, she just wants to know that like, it's like, wow, her, her parents are, you know, her father in this instance, they're a sexual being as well, you know? And, uh, and so I, I think that, um, I think that that's, that's good. I, I think that level of transparency of like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a healthy thing. Yeah. Now I don't necessarily launch into the fact that, you know, you know, there's some, there's some aspects I'm like, okay, well, well my beautiful partner is uh, amazing. And we're, we're like, okay, what, what are we exploring? What are we curious about, about, you know, uh, you know, various expressions of kink, sensual, energetic sexuality to include potentially non-monogamous experiences. You know, I'm like, those are, those are, you know, but um, you know, those in, in, in time, I think those are like, that's, that's ways in which people express their sexuality. And, and so I'm, I'm just trying to practice what I preach. There we go. To use a yeah. <laughs> religious. I think so since you're talking about sexuality, what is mm. your understanding? Or how is your understanding around sexuality changing now that you've been deconstructing more for the both of you? And so what are some of the truths, I guess, that you have kind of come to find around that topic? Just honoring and uh, accepting openness to whatever however people might consensually choose to express their sexuality uh, I, I don't know else to say that other than that i think that's a beautiful thing and and so you know learning more about it is, is healthy um yeah. yeah i mean for me uh, the difference is huge because um in my culture I mean of course you're not only you're expected to be a virgin until you get married if you never get married then you die as a virgin <laughs> that's so sad to say yeah. um but not only that I mean I've, I've mentioned that there was there they managed to build that sense of curiosity about my body as a woman so for me it's this whole uh, reconnected and, and finding my, my whole identity as, as a whole person. And we're, we're not whole with our bodies. Um, and I was a dancer back home for seven years. And even as a dancer, I was like, so disconnected. It's so sad. Like really, when you're not uh, almost allowing yourself to feel the feels, you're just, you're just like doing that choreography and, and, and that's, it ends there. Uh, so for me, it's just open up a whole world of, of exploration. And a part of that is uh, educating myself, uh, proper sexual education. Um, and also these ideas that, that I'm not diseased, that my there's nothing wrong with my body. There's nothing wrong with me. Um, uh, and it's, it's huge. Uh, I mean, it's, it sounds very simple, but I spend decades thinking that there's something wrong with my body. Um, right. And just for being a woman, but I also have, um, like you, Kurt, and, and I've shared that with you, that I've ex experienced sexual trauma. And then you grow up with these ideas that you're broken, that something is broken in me, something just doesn't work. Um, and rating people like Dr. Emily Nagoski, and um, I just those sex affirming people, um, and a lot of other books about sex and God, and just, you know, just this, this whole idea that, 
uh, this is not the ultimate sin. This is, you know, because you're as an Arabic woman, you're taught that that your your whole goal in life almost is like to protect your virginity. It's like this this lie of virginity. And uh, um, yeah, just just that that there's nothing wrong with me exploring myself with me being a woman and loving my body. Uh, and that God actually created my body for me to enjoy and for pleasure. And I mean, there is literally an organ in my body that's sole function is to give me pleasure. So I don't think God was just like, oh, let's just put, let's just put that clit out there. Like, no, there's a purpose <laughs> to it. <laughs> It's with yeah. how you did that. I can just imagine like, God trying to build people, and he's like just yeah. throwing parts. Let's <laughs> see if that sticks. Uh, so we had a clip. Mm, let me think about that for a second. Like, yeah, it is there for a reason. So, yeah, I would definitely say I, I, I'm a sex positive person, sex affirming. I, I, I don't think that's an elective. I think that's that's really a part of who we are created to be as holy and sacred beings. Yeah. Uh, I just want to, that's beautiful how you just said all of that. And I also still am just like the fact that you said, I thought of myself as a disease. Yeah. And I'm, that's just so much, Rula, you know, that, the, you know, to carry that. So I am so grateful that you're, you came and found that class, you know, Oh yeah. and yeah. have been able to deconstruct that for yourself. So, okay. Both of you now have this different understanding of God. So my question is then how do you, with your relationship, I think there's a lot for everyone to learn, right? Because oftentimes what's happening in our country is people who aren't agreeing on certain things or just, we just decide to like move on. Like, well, I can't talk to you. Right. So how are you two able to have such a close and caring relationship, but also have different understandings of who God is? And then how can we learn from you? Do you want to start? Uh, no, I want to hear you. <laughs> I want to hear you first. You take that one first. Well, you know, <laughs> Kurt and I have had an interesting, I mean, the yeah. way we met is somehow through the church. Uh, we didn't like collaborate together, but a, a friend thought that we should meet each other because Kurt uh, is doing work or was doing work at the time with refugees. And I was also at the time trying to do work with Arabic refugees. And so we were connected within that context. Um, and we didn't really get to know each other until, uh, I would say like maybe two years later. Uh, but honestly, I just, and, and, and maybe that's a good thing, Kurt, because, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been living in the States for, for the last four and a half years, close to five years. And, um, I mean, I, my mentality is, is shifting a lot. Like I'm learning to discover who I am away from, uh, my culture, the culture that I grew up in. And so I really approached this friendship with a lot of curiosity. I was, uh, I think it was great practice for me to listen to somebody who's very, very different than who I am. Um, and just approaching that with mere curiosity. And I, I want to credit also you for that, Kurt. I mean, just, it takes a certain kind of personality. Uh, you, you, I think I, I imagine you as this big container and I feel like you were able to hold space for the difference between us and just the calmness that you bring, the centeredness that you bring, 
it was really helpful for me to accept who you are and just listen uh, listen to what what's beyond your words. Like you have been deeply wounded by the church and deeply wounded by this idea of God that I don't think represents who God really is, but who you know people wanted God to be. And so I totally understand your not being able to reconcile that with um, your current reality. And I'm. I don't know if I've told you that. I, I think you will. I think you're on the way to, to find who God is for you, who is healthy and not not a harmful image. Uh, but I also know, or maybe that's just my deepest hope because I think God is amazing. <laughs> I think you would really <laughs> like her. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, really I, like and, I, and, I, and I don't care. Like I've, I've said that so many times. I don't care if you believe or you don't believe. I don't love you because of what you believe. I love you because you're my friend. Um, and it's honestly really good for, I'll speak for myself. It's really good for me to, uh, to be in the presence of such a, a, a thinker who's so different from me. I mean, I learn a lot from all of our conversations. So that's been an asset in my life. Thank you, Kurt. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I, I, I feel uh, like echoing many of those thoughts. I mean, as I've shared, you know, uh, to you and, you know, I, I went from a place in where I had what I felt like was a constellation of relationships of friendships of colleagues in ministry to um, losing almost all of those. And, uh, you know, I think I mentioned in a Facebook post the other day, just, the, and, and I, I just share amongst my friends and family on Facebook. I, I don't really like publish stuff to the world anymore that I could count on one hand, the number of people who were still in the Christian context who still seemed to genuinely want to have a relationship with me. I lost everybody else, including family members and, and people that I considered close friends. So uh, talk about holding space. Uh, I mean, you and, and a few of those others that um, I still am very grateful for, just very compassionate. So I, I credit, you know, I would say, um, you know, those, those two twin concepts of compassion and curiosity are what have provided Rula and I, um, you know, just this, this wonderful relationship where we can keep growing and learning from each other. And, and that's where I say that I think those differences, when you, when you commit yourself to that, those differences actually become smaller and smaller and smaller, or they become less and less important to the friendship. And um, so I, I'm, yeah, I, I think that's that's probably what I would I would just recommend and is just commit to truly understanding and having compassion for each other and and then outside of that uh, we also just like to have fun so I mean just <laughs> do stuff that's fun you know go out for drinks and like alcohol alcohol is a is a beautiful exactly. a beautiful tool we to, connect over beer to to. <laughs> to smooth over any differences, just, just pour me a good glass of red wine or two and, and all the, it all fades away at that point. So it's all good. But compassion and curiosity, right? That's what we need to- And alcohol, yes. And alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> there is a big sober movement going on now though. Oh, there is. I, so I, we can I, do that's cocktails. A, yeah, exactly. No, I don't want to be insensitive to it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. There's also, you know, food. <laughs> 
beautiful. Oh, oh yeah. No, honestly, just food. And and this is where, oh my God, Lebanese food. Oh yeah. What? So like good. the world needs to discover <laughs> Lebanese, Lebanese food. food. Just embrace it. <laughs> Thanks for the marketing. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for the marketing. <laughs> I did not receive payment for that. Well, we are coming to an end, in fact, which is wild. But I ask all of my guests, what are you reframing in your life today? I feel like I'm reframing. Um, so this is the word. I'm just going with what the word, the word that popped into my head. I'm reframing joy. So the sense of what a life that is really centered and at peace within itself mm-hmm. looks like then in the context of a world that in many ways appears to have gone mad. Right. Uh, but to find a sense of exuberance in in each day um, with that is is um, a beautiful thing and I think that that's that starts with with only yourself Um, so uh, I'm reframing myself and this sense of joy I'll leave leave my thought at that that's beautiful I really love that I think I need to reframe that (laughs) yeah that's a really hard question Um, I think I'm, I'm reframing my identity as a person, um, as an immigrant, I came here to be a minister because, um, by the time I graduated, women weren't ordained in Lebanon. Um, they are now, but there are only a few who kind of passed the test of the, you know, monopolized church. And I definitely, I, I never passed that test to begin with. So, um, just this being able to reframe who I am away from the culture I grew up in, but also, uh, I, I don't know how that's going to sound to our listeners, away from the church, uh, who I really am as a person. Um, I'm doing a lot of a lot of internal work to understand how um, all the wounds, all the traumas uh, of, of the upbringing that I've had uh, have shaped, shaped me as the person that I am right now and who I really am, who I really want to be. Um, I know that being a pastor is my calling, but there are days when I feel like there is more for me to do. So just really just try to figure out who I am. I, I think my identity is what I'm reframing. And that includes all of all of what we really just all that talks about like my my theology, uh, ideology about sexuality, culture, uh, joy, grief, all of the above. Well, I just want to thank the two of you for being so candid, for being so vulnerable, and for taking the time to just share your story with our listeners. And um, I just know I appreciate you two so much in terms mm. of what you've brought already into my life and the way you encourage me to continue to also look inward and to ask those questions and to be curious. I feel like both of you also are giving me the breath in which I can um, explore that and to also celebrate, right? And to be mm-hmm. adventurous. Rula brings adventure for me. <laughs> and things like that. So I just, I deeply appreciate who you guys are and that you're so intentional. I think that both of you are just really intentional humans. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. So mm. thank you for sharing today. 
Thank you, Kara. Thank you. Yeah, we didn't get to wonderful. share about what we appreciate about you. So you know <laughs> that I, I deeply cherish our friendship as well and grateful to be in this space and to have this opportunity. So thank you so much for the both of yeah, you. Very much so. Wonderful. This has been a beautiful time. So yeah. thank you. Yeah.